Someday spaceships will be traveling from Earth to other planets. How are human beings going to survive on those planets? The atmosphere will be different, the pressures will be different. By studying these and other species, we add to our knowledge of how life evolved, how it adapted itself to this world. With that knowledge, perhaps we can teach men to adapt themselves to some new world of the future. Dr. Maia, you've got yourself an expedition. Good. We'll leave for Manaus in the morning. From there, we'll take a boat upriver. Welcome to The Fear of God, episode 51. We are having a conversation every single week about the intersection between Christianity and the horror genre. And having that conversation with you is myself, Reed Lackey, and... Otherwise known as the creature from the Hairy Lagoon. <laughs> wow. The Hairy Legume? The yes, Hairy Legume. That, I might be that. No, that was my that was my poor attempt at a creature from the Black Lagoon voice. Um, nice. No, this is this is Nathan uh, with you as always. Uh, thank you for ha- thank you for having me back, Reed. I appreciate you keep you just you just keep giving me chances, and I I, blo- I botched them, but I appreciate no. you uh, continuing to have me back on. <laughs> no, 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 not at all the case. But I tell you, if if my Math adds up correctly. I'll need to look back on this and possibly cut this out if this is not correct. But I believe this is episode 51. But because of the dates, I believe this is our one-year anniversary. So happy one-year anniversary, Fear of God listeners. Happy one-year anniversary, Fear of God host. Happy anniversary, Reed. You know what's fun is, you know, we can we can pretend like... It might be the 52nd recording, or next week is the proper 52, and so we can call that, we can have two anniversaries. It's like... That's right, we can It's just that. like a real, a real cutesy sort of thing we're going to do on the show. That's exactly right. Well, because what threw us off, and this is a good segue, because what threw us off was one week, we would, you know, we've released an episode every single week, but one week, instead of a proper episode, we had a new number one, and we released Quarterly King... Number one, which was Carrie, and that took up a week of time. So fifty one is actually the 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 one year. It would be fifty two. But speaking of Quarterly King, listeners, you gave us an opportunity to select to course correct. Uh, 
Yeah, to course correct, as it were, because we had originally kind of planned, we'll just go ahead and peek behind the curtain, we had originally planned to maybe cover The Dark Tower as our next Quarterly King, because it's his magnum opus in terms of book series, and we were hopeful that the movie might be good. Um, that plan changed a little bit when uh, when the film came out, um, and we still would have done it, we still would have happily covered it, but we left, you the, we left the choice to you. So, um, we can go ahead and now formally reveal that next... The next quarterly king is going to be a little late because <laughs> per per your selection, we are going to wait until the new adaptation of the film It comes out and our next quarterly king will be about it. So uh, whether the movie is great or not, the yeah, next we're, quarterly we're king, we're committing, we're there. That's that's what we're going to do. So the next quarterly king will be about this new it film uh, that's going to be released. And so, yeah. And, and honestly, I've much more hopes for it than I did for Dark Tower, because coming out of yeah, what I've seen of it looks genuinely terrifying and creepy. And yes, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that it's going to be a pretty good film, or at least I'm hoping it will be. Well, yeah, at this point, you know, we'll 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 talk about it one way or the other because, you know, <laughs> it's true. That's true. So I have one more bit of announcement, one more bit of housekeeping announcement. So the votes are starting to come in like wildfire for hashtag I love the 90s. Um, there have already been some very big surprises. There are I won't reveal specifics yet for obvious reasons, but there are two films currently sitting in the top 10 that I had no idea would make top 10. I was not sure that they would even make top 25, but they're in the top 10. Um, and then there are a couple of films, one of which is my, you know, probably one of my favorites from the 90s that's not even in the top 50. So so the list will be listener voted, listener selected. Um, like I said, there's a couple in the top 10 that I, didn't, I wasn't even sure would, would make the top 25. I kind of understand it when I take a step back and realize like, oh no, if we're going for favorites, yeah, this is this is certainly a favorite film for a lot of people. So yeah, either way, hashtag I love the 90s is coming in October. If you have not yet voted, then please go to either Facebook or Twitter, place your votes for hashtag I love the 90s. And then uh, if you do not have Facebook or Twitter, you can email us fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com and we will send you the survey directly so uh i'm really excited yeah. for our fall here at the fear of god because oh, we've got kidding. i love the 90s happening in october as we announced on green room two weeks ago we have uh stranger things giving happening exactly in november right. and that's going to be that's going to be a lot of fun so and then and then yeah, we have nope, something nope nope, nope nope i won't say it now here. but we have we have something really special planned for december as well so yeah it's 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 gonna be fun <laughs> <laughs> listeners just get more and more excited just, just right, eagerly right. anticipate the uh the coming holiday season and the good news um, is if if they don't we are so it really doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly um but nathan so so i had listeners Reed. may not know this um mm -hmm. i had uh, a really eventful uh, weekend. Um, yes, I did. So I was celebrating a couple of weeks ago, uh, as of this recording, I was celebrating, uh, my wife and my, uh, eighth anniversary and Happy anniversary to you. Yeah. Thank you very much. And so, um, on that, before I tell you more of that, I just, uh, Nathan, I just have to know what you watching. I gotta know what wow. you reading and you're listening to. Wow. 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 I don't, I mean, how do you, how does one even, how does one even address that? Like, you planned, you planned that one. Listeners will know, listeners will know by now, we usually do not, uh, 
you know, pick very specific melodies to to do our song to. That's but exactly you just right. you did that. But you need to I you did. need to give a little you need to give a little backup for why that. Okay, sure, sure. So <laughs> so the biggest reason is because uh, for those of you who don't know that melody, that was a direct ripoff of uh, the Shoop Shoop song, uh, otherwise known as "It's in His Kiss" by one uh, legendary artist, Cher. And uh, the reason that I did that is because that is where I took my wife for our anniversary trip in Vegas. Is we went to the Cher concert. I got third row tickets. Third row tickets That's... to see Cher. Yeah, I can dig and, that. Uh, let me tell you, like, here's tell the funny me. thing. So, so I, you know, some of her hits from the 80s, which actually this was like a classic tour. So it was that's this is my what you watch and read and listening to is I've been listening ah. to some share recently. So um, but because uh, I was reacquainting myself with some of like the 70s and 80s stuff, which was comprised the bulk of this set that we were uh, that she was performing. Um, so it was a really incredible show, to be honest. I mean, the woman is 71 years old and she had a really funny story at the very beginning where she talked for quite a while about, you know, just growing older and the the troubles of image and appearance as you're growing older and and at one point she said so i'm not 40 anymore um but i do have one question for you what's your granny doing tonight and then you know the uh, the next big number stopped uh, started up and it was very fun and she she put on a really incredible show and as i said we were in the third row and my wife got to touch her hand and it was exciting it was all exciting that's intense i mean i feel like i mean like i can't I can't top that. So, we can. <laughs> well, I can try to top that because that same day, not just the same trip, but the same day, that morning, see, we were going to the concert that night. And that morning, my wife was like, Yeah, I think I'm just going to relax. I'm going to just chill out for a little bit, not, not really get out and do anything. And so I was like, You know what? I am going to go down to a hotel about a mile and a half down the, down the strip and visit the Star Trek convention. So I went down to the Star Trek convention. Uh, yeah, that's right. I went to Star Trek and Cher in the same day. And, <laughs> and, and so what happened was when I was at the Star Trek convention, this is a funny story. So, well, it's funny to me. At, when I was at the Star Trek convention, then uh, there was one point at which I walked into the exhibit hall and there was the entire cast of The Next Generation, minus Patrick Stewart and Jonathan Frakes, but the entire rest of the cast. I mean, we're talking John DeLancey, who plays Q, LeVar Burton. Uh, it had Brent Spiner, plays Data. Uh, I mean, they were, they were all there. And they were all in a line signing autographs. Now, the autographs were like 50 bucks a pop. I don't think I was allowed to do this. In fact, I, I, I am pretty positive that if somebody realized I was doing this, they would have asked me to exit the line. But at one point, I approached I, whoever was with LeVar Burton. It might be his wife or might be a family member or something, but I, I, I approached the person who was with LeVar Burton and I just wanted them to deliver a message to him. And she said, well, if you want to just go talk to him, you can just wait in the line and go talk to him. I'm like, oh, I will just do that. <laughs> so, so I got in the line and met the entire cast of Star Trek The Next Generation. Wow. <laughs> it, was, it was really a cool experience. So in one just, day. You're just riding high. It, yeah. In one day, I met the entire cast of The Next Generation and. Well, and, again, again, let's caveat. It wasn't the entire cast. Okay, fine. I did not get to meet <laughs> Patrick Stewart. And hey. I did not get to meet. 
Commander Riker. But I did get to meet all of the rest of them and uh, had a really nice conversation, like a brief, you know, 30 second to a minute conversation with each and every one of them. They're all wonderful, delightful people. And uh, yeah. And then that night we went to third row seats at share and it was great it was a fun that's, good time that's quite an anniversary <laughs> exactly it's what i've been watching reading and you listening know, to right there between the two of us so you met all but stewart and frakes as i mentioned on green room while i did not formally meet stewart i do have pictures of him about two feet from me and did yeah. to see him live on broadway so between the two of us all we need now is jonathan frakes so we got to figure that yeah. out yeah um and then we're, we're then we're then we'll be official red shirts um, uh, in the, uh, you know, now that you've just dominated all of our time with your, what you're experiencing, what you, wow. what you go, what you go on and seeing and just, just adventuring and journeying, <laughs> giving of you. Right, right. And so, um, I'm going to make a, a quick pivot from your glorious experience to say that <laughs> I, I did go see the dark tower. So that's my, uh, <laughs> that's, that's my what you're watching. So <laughs> the comparative between the enjoyment of my experiences and the enjoyment of your experience. Watching. We, this is uh, where we need some, we need some sound cues that are just like, wah, wah, wah. Um, that movie forgot the face of its father from what I oh, understand. Did it ever. So, uh, uh, listeners will appreciate this. So as you just alluded to, like five minutes ago, our full and total plan for quarterly king number two as you referenced on night of living dead yeah last week that you were pouring over uh you're like encyclopedia brown over there with uh the dark tower books just raring to go and i I will briefly share this story because it's not nearly as wonderful as yours but i had plans to go i knew it was getting some some middling stuff but i'm the type of moviegoer where i don't if, if I know I'm going to see something, I'm just kind of going to bite the bullet and see it. So I, I will, as best I can, avoid advance, you know, uh, uh, rotten tomato scores and things like that. Like, so I was nervous about the trailer, um, as probably most of the King fandom was. Well, <laughs> a buddy and I were going, had plans to go. He had already bought his ticket. He was so enthused and excited to go see the Dark Tower. Right. Two hours before the showtime, I just happened to go on Fandango to get my ticket, and the Rotten Tomato score finally popped up, and it had a 16%. 16! 16! Like, 16. Come on. That's Oh, man, that's painful. And and my stomach just dropped, because I was like, man... Now, I know I get to the theater a little more than you do, but still, you gotta, you know, you gotta reserve those bullets. And I I was... (laughs) I was tempted to just swerve on my buddy and not go or something, but I was like, nope. Well, I have remembered the face of my father. And so <laughs> I went and I will say this for anyone actually interested who hasn't seen the movie yet, but is a fan of the stuff. Like, I mean, it's, uh, this is going to sound hyperbolic. I don't mean to be, it's not garbage. Like you'd go see it and you'd be like, man, that's not now it's possible the rotten tomato score diminished my expectations so much that I was able to come out with the mild, I mean, enjoyment's a strong word, but uh mild sense of uh, uh, entertainment factor. Right. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely not what you would want out of 
any version of Dark Tower adaptation. Other, I mean, I love the casting of Elba. I, I adore him yeah. as a, as yeah. a performer. I, I think that's a great casting choice. Um, I think the kid is a good casting. I like McConaughey. I don't think he does well with the material. You know, I think the material is weak. I don't know why it took so long to get that to screen. Honestly, Reed, I don't know that I've said this to you. It felt like they just were like, eh, eh just just release it, somebody. You know, wow. like, it, yeah. not be- again, wow. not because it's a piece of trash, but just because it feels sure. so un- unspecial. It is so yeah, unspecial. For, yeah, so uninspired for what you would want, you know. So, so yeah, that was my experience yeah, of the dark tower you know there's there's speculation out the wazoo about how this could have gone better i will say that one of the things that i think uh, a series like the dark tower is better suited for is like even though we you know sort of decried it a little bit in last week's episode about you know the netflix model as it were i don't know i think it's i think it's something that's maybe a little bit more suited for something like that that or oh, hbo well, or something bear in mind i don't think let's let's revisit that we weren't and maybe you're referring to me or both of us i wasn't decrying the netflix model i was decrying the netflix model being applied to material that doesn't support what they tend to want oh, out of it. yeah uh oh, yeah yes, i got the that. netflix model for something like dark tower is perfect i mean it's perfect yeah yeah I I was even thinking as I was rereading it, like the first book, Gunslinger, I'm like, just make five episodes, make them each an hour, and that's it. That's your first season. And and that's and you cover the entire book. You could do the entire book and there's your first season. People would watch the crap out of it. And then you release your second season. I mean, I know that there's it's different. The money pouring in over something like a streaming service versus the you know movie theater box office so yeah there's all of those sorts of things that go into it what makes me most sad about this is that it took years and years and years for dark tower to come to the screen and now given the relatively poor reception and modest box office at this point which will likely now turn into uh not really great returns uh, may mean that we'll never get anything else. Right, I hope that's wrong, right, right. but it may mean that, that, that that'll be it, that that'll forever be it. That's what happened to Ender's Game. It's like an Ender's Game wasn't a bad movie. I was going to say, and that's actually a pretty good movie. Yeah, Ender's Game is a pretty good movie, but you know, it was so sort of just good after a legendary book had been going for you know 20 30 years or so and and then like that's it they didn't do the rest of the ender series uh, i don't know that there were specific plans to one way or another but i know that if it had been a huge success there would have been plans to um so yeah that's just the that's the catch 22 of of dealing with beloved franchises trying to translate them into into cinematic gold well but i think you're also scratching up against unintentionally so perhaps like the changing paradigm of entertainment like yeah there there is still this psychology attached to the multiplex that really has uh, what what is the dark tower phrase of of the world has passed by or what's what's the phrase i'm world has moved on yeah yeah world has moved the inner the the media creation world has moved on from that paradigm that does not mean you can't produce solid outings but it does mean you can't you can't launch a brand new thing hoping it just does what it's going to do and you've got all this possible stuff behind it like right you know right. like watching the dark tower movie all i kept thinking and i don't love the gunslinger book neither do i but the gunslinger book would make a fantastic tv series 
Like it's, sure. it's weird. Oh, yeah. It's weird. And it's visual. Like all I thought was I would much rather have like a Mad Max Fury Road esque gunslinger. Oh my gosh, just, yeah. just balls yeah. to the wall, kind of crazy, weird stuff. You know, you open, uh, you may have seen me post this on Twitter. I was like, I'd love to have seen a version of this movie that just opens on Roland's hand clutching the horn and, right, and yeah. with, with dust, you know, with, with a dusty desert scenario. And then you pan up and th- there's Midworld and him laid out. Like, what a perfect opening. Yeah. That oh, every, yeah. that every fan would get and every soon to be fan would be like, I'm intrigued now. Instead, yeah. we got, Oh, I totally agree. The attempt to make something that is almost impossible it's it's almost like their attempt to make it accessible to every single demographic they they mm. they utterly ruined any chance of making it accessible at all i don't know yeah anyway so yeah. yeah that's that's that was that's what i watched while you were you know shaking hands with glory uh in, <laughs> in, in, in las vegas all those, well i was all turning the, back time yeah all those gypsies oh. tramps and thieves that's right that's a, that's exactly right do you know um, you, you might know this do you know other than um her singles which you know by and large i'm generally familiar with um my primary association with share is in season five of the x-files this always happens right oh it always yes connect something to the x-files um there is a great episode called the postmodern prometheus um it's in black and white and it is you know scully and Mulder stumbling on this like um, and honestly, it would work really well with our show because it's about this kind of Frankensteinian-esque character. Um, I think you've who said this loves, before. This rings a bell. Yeah, yeah. Well, the reason it's connected here is he he loves Cher, and he loves the <laughs> he loves the movie Mask. He watches Mask all the time, and <laughs> and is so enamored because he's kind of disfigured, and so that's why he loves Cher because he appropriates that share the as a mother actor, figure oh, the character oh. yeah 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 and and in yeah. fact one of her one of his lines is share sure loved that boy it's this really <laughs> lovely kind of poignant thing but he 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 will dance in empty homes it's it's kind of this weird thing it's x-files but he dances in empty wow. homes with share backing you know turns on share music so that's wow that's wow. how i know that's, and have a strong connection awesome. to share and this is an episode <laughs> what are we talking about again what are we here for reed <laughs> so so yeah so uh so stepping stepping away from share which you know why would we ever do that but no stepping away from share uh we are having our official formal that that concludes by the way ladies and gentlemen our what you watch and read and listen to section and we are going to dive right into our formal content which is the final episode of our year-long series covering the core universal monsters um so it's been a long journey uh we we started this off in january i think we kind of anticipated that maybe we would do a few sequels as well but um there's too much other fun stuff to do so we just focused on the core films of the universal monsters and that brings us to the seventh and final installment today as we discuss creature from the black lagoon uh so uh nathan as we always start with these uh with these universal monster films i want to know what you thought I want to know how you felt about it because you you've never seen these. I've seen them all at least once, and uh, yeah, I want to know your reaction to it. Um, no, I had never seen this movie. I really did not know. This is a fun. I'm gonna I'm gonna interject this. We're not at, technically at trivial bits yet, but we've already done a couple of things. Do you know the only association I had with Creature from the Black Lagoon, other than just awareness of the title, is 
and look, we're going to this. It's all full circle. You know, Ka is a wheel. <laughs> you know, time is a wheel. Um, here we are. So in the book, it um, in the Losers Club section of the story, you know, Pennywise, the clown will appear to these children as something they fear, you know, some sort of yeah. association they have that's scary to them pretty consistently appears as the clown Pennywise, but will change form depending on, I mean, it's really a brilliant uh, uh, concept conceit on King's part, which is why it's held up so well, but um, we'll get to that in quarterly King number two in September. Um, <laughs> but there's a scene in the book where one of the young men, I can't remember all of those characters names, but um, I think the infamous bridge that features pretty heavily in the opening scene or two in the seventies, um, you know, yeah. that's part of Derry, the town. Um, one of the young men is crossing the bridge, I think at night, I'm, I'm maybe misremembering some of this. I didn't look this all back up, but I just, all I remember is Pennywise appears to him and, and lumbers after him as the creature from the black lagoon, because he is as a child aware of that movie and scared of it. And so it's preying on his fears. So that was a random little trivial bit, but also an association yeah. here for creature from the black lagoon. As for the actual movie. No, I, I didn't know anything about the story. So it was kind of fun. I would, I don't know about you or where this falls for you. Now hear me with the universal movies. They have a certain kitsch factor. Um, not to be confused with Taylor Kitsch factor, but kitschy, like, <laughs> like, you know, cutesy or, or just sort of sentimental and nostalgic factor that really helps their enjoyment, but they're all, they're, they're pretty dated. Um, so understand this is a kind of a muted, uh, statement here, but like, I think for me, Black Lagoon was probably one of the stronger ones. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Not even necessarily because I thought, oh, this is fantastic, whatever, but one, the, pl- the, the story itself, Kind of like how I said with Mummy. Remember with Mummy, I was thrown because just the version of story we got is something I was really not anticipating or expecting. Right, right, um, sure. I, I sort of feel that way with Black Lagoon, and possibly it's because of it, the book, because for some reason I was thinking this creature that is from the Black Lagoon, by the way, um, <laughs> you know, in my head, if you were to ask me before watching the movie, hey, what is this going to be about? I would have told you, well, some sort of creature gets into... I don't know, gets, gets, wreaks havoc on some town by means of sewer systems or something. I don't know. Like, like uh, I just, I had no idea what I was getting into, which actually <laughs> you're going to love all these X-Files mic drops here. So <laughs> the fluke man, do you know the fluke man? I think, oh, I think in my yeah, head, I, I correlate the fluke man and the, and the black lagoon monster from before <laughs> oh watching gosh. the movie. So anyway, that's a really long winded way of, of trying to say, what I enjoyed about the movie was I did not know what to expect and did not get what I would have expected had you asked me to plot it out. Um, sure, sure. And I, I appreciated the, again, however dated, like the, the underwater shots I sure. thought were, oh, yeah. were effective and and kind of did what they were supposed to do. Um, so, no, I, I enjoyed it. I would probably, I still think thematically Bride Of is going to be a hands-down winner. Um, I think yeah. in, Invisible Man is going to be strong just because it's a, a bit more jarring in in kind of what it's doing and what its main character is doing uh um, sure but i think i liked black lagoon just because i didn't i just really didn't know what to expect and it was a little a little above what i might have stated beforehand cool yeah i yeah i can totally i can totally get on board with that and it makes a lot of sense because it was i mean it it was made uh almost 25 years after dracula dracula of course being the first of the universal monster films uh 
Creature from the Black Lagoon not being the last Universal monster movie, but the last of what we what we call like the legacy films. They're they're you know the f- original installments of what would become the franchise versions. So this was the most recent of them. So it makes sense that it would that it would feel strong because yeah we we're getting into closer to the sensibilities of the 60s and and techniques have have changed. It's also very straightforward. Like we can right. kind of blend trivial bits with likes dislikes because I, I really only have a couple of trivial bits here. But um, uh, one of the things that I actually really enjoy about it is is that it is very direct. It's just a straightforward uh, sort of adventure monster film. And and I really like that a lot. It was actually so listeners may or may not know who this is. But if you're familiar with the filmmaker Ingmar Bergman, who's sure. known for these, um, you know, these Swedish, very heavy handed. Uh, artsy theologically rich philosophically rich films these dramas these very heavy-handed dramas uh well uh, creature from the black lagoon was one of his favorite films and he watched it every year on his birthday that's just, awesome I, that's awesome i just find that uh fascinating but it uh yeah yeah i mean it 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 is it's really enjoyable it's something that i feel like and we'll get into a little bit of themes it definitely has a little bit of substance to it but it really just doesn't ask that much of you um and i feel like it gives a lot back cuz like you said there's a lot taking place uh those sort of underwater scenes uh from what i hear well what i hear what i read and researched uh, the reports from the set was that it was a very pleasant production. Everybody got along really well. Everybody had a good time. Uh, that really the only sort of complication or or uh, drama uh, on set was related to the underwater sequences, only because the water was very cold. Um, and sometimes uh, the the person in the creature costume is a, a professional diver. If I'm saying his name correctly, it's Riku Browning. Um, but he would sometimes have to hold his breath for up to four minutes while they were situating wow. the shot so wow. yeah That's, so but i'd be dead yeah i know right i mean again he was a professional diver i'm sure he wouldn't have been able to but so that's the uh those those were really the only challenges to the set were those underwater sequences but as you said i think those scenes are great yeah I they, mean, really I, mean, I mean it's 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 a bit of a stretch to say they hold up but you know like for not ex- for your expectations, they really do deliver. Yeah. You know, for what yeah. it might have been. Uh, if we're in kind of likes dislikes now, which is totally cool. Like I love, sure. <laughs> I love the totally blase way they all all of them handle the fossil hand. It is like <laughs> it is yeah. like it is equal parts the most astonishing archaeological find ever, and <laughs> the and the most just who cares discovery. <laughs> Like, guys, check out this toy I found, you know? Let me just toss it to you. <laughs> right, yeah, they, they might as well. And I love, <laughs> I love when they first extract it, because it just, it's so stupid. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just this, like, well, one, we never bother to, like, even, again, I don't need it, but there's no correlation made in the in the text of the movie between the hand and the the, the, <laughs> right. the ultimate creature living currently himself sure sure um, but i love how the hand is just like just sticking out from <laughs> from the rock face and that that archaeologist guy he basically just like plucks it like a flower he's like oh oh yeah you know like <laughs> oh, here we are you know it's like <laughs> oh, it's so funny. funny it's so funny like they don't even they don't even say much about like, oh, where's the rest of it? Or, you know, I wonder what's on. I don't know. It just really struck me yeah. as funny how, especially in the scene. I don't, I don't remember. Is it 
it's some sort of congreg congregation, you know, conference type scene where they're all pouring over it. But it's like it's like they're just handling a football. There's there's so yeah. little, oh, yeah. little little care given to the most astonishing you know discovery ever. Exactly. Well, and what's interesting is that even the handle they they handle science in general about as deftly as they handle that hand i, I love how they're sitting there like well, you know if you go further down this way there's a lagoon there might be there might be something down there maybe some more maybe some more stuff washed up and they're like and i love how the the most reason that somebody's got is like the chances of finding something are rather remote <laughs> they're like they, we came here for science they, stu- they studied at the reed lackey school of science like ah nerves and what nerves and whatever you know it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's like archaeology and stuff, you know. <laughs> oh, exactly, exactly. And so that's like their, that's that's their big drive to head into what's known as the Black Lagoon. Is like, oh yeah, maybe we can dredge the bottom of this swamp and possibly find something else. It is, yeah, it is pretty funny. But you know what? What's on the on the science thing? And this is not so much a like dislike as it is an interest. Um, it is fascinating to me, incredibly fascinating, that the opening scene of the film utilizes both creationism and evolutionary language. So they start with straight up, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then quickly move into the, you know, earth is billions of years and process over time and everything. And I took note of this because there's not much made in either direction. That's just, they, they just incorporate both sets of language into introducing the story. And uh, I don't know, I wouldn't even be able to unpack or articulate all of that, but I just found it interesting and, dare I say, maybe a little refreshing that there was, you know, just not really much made in either direction Uh, or or intention. Yeah, yeah, refreshing that there was a time in our history when we just weren't so divided and divisive and gave crap and it's loaded language and like, oh, trigger words and oh, okay, whatever. Exactly. And you know what? Hey, look, a hand. Grab it. You know, (laughs) sticking out of science. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, that... I think you just I think you just struck it for me because I, it is it's this notion of there's nothing maybe much was made behind the scenes but there's nothing in the text of the film about reconciling those two realities. I, I now don't, I know I we have there was much made behind the scenes. <laughs> but it's one of those things where like I know we have some listeners who aren't believers and and we have some listeners who maybe care deeply about this subject I don't know but I mean it's just it, it was it was a little refreshing to me that it's like hey so both of these things uh, uh, exist and here here it is and now we're gonna head to the Black Lagoon where there's a gill man that now let's go swimming people right <laughs> so uh, so yeah I just I just took note of that and thought it was it was great you just said he tries to eat people I love how undefined his his version of <laughs> right. his method of killing is it's like hand to the face face palm you know it's like you know that's my uh, there is merman uh, voice yes you like that i do i love it there is a video that uh i may wind up cutting this out of our episode but because i can't do it justice but there is a video out there that you could probably do a quick youtube search and find that is clips of images from the creature of the black lagoon not only the first film, but that series, that entire series, and it's images of him, like, just turning over boats, throwing stuff, <laughs> hitting people in the face, and what's great is that 
the captions underneath say and and it's adult it's very adult so i'm gonna censor it but the captions underneath say like screw this screw that guy screw this screw this other guy That's and awesome. it's and and then it's like it smashes it says screw this lamp screw that guy too and it's just it goes on for like three minutes of the creature just bashing things well you know what's funny about you describing that i, I am gonna look that up um oh it's hysterical my first instinct was to really be impressed with like the creature design Um, and and hear me i do think it's good costume design it's good creature design i love i loved his swimming style under the water like it's really kind of uh oh yeah i don't know i don't know just kind of it's not like a typical human swim style so you could tell they put some thought into that but as much as i loved the initial reaction i had to his look there are a couple of shots where I almost changed, I almost erased the note because those like straight on face shots of the creature where he looks like this dumb fish just staring at you with his big old buggy eyeballs. I was like, okay, that looks, that looks idiotic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and what's really, what's really funny is that the, the, Diver couldn't see out of those eyeballs. Oh, I believe so he it. Could, I believe he it. couldn't see anything. It was all it was all total darkness. Um, and you know what's you know what's funny to me too. I don't know why this made me think of this, but did you know this was originally filmed in 3D, or that it was it was filmed wow. to be wow, and it was released in 3D. Sure, like and uh, and they were like trying to bring the format back, and it's so ironic to me that you know 50, 60 years later they're still trying to right, bring the right. 3D format back. What's old um, is new again. Oh, but well, man, in that was, scenario, yeah, they would just funny. have they would just have movie theater workers hide in rows in front of you with squirt guns and just like just like <laughs> squirt you squirt you with water. It's like the it's like the Muppet Show thing at Disney World, you know. <laughs> yes, it's the 4D experience. Right, right. So every time they splash in, somebody's gonna dump a bucket of water in your face. <laughs> boardy, boardy. Um, I did I did love um, how. I, I, I know it sounds like I'm like this in the movie. I'm really not. I actually found it enjoyable. But I love how every, like you could make a drinking game out of the music cue, the oppressive <laughs> music cue every time the creature's hand is in the shot. Do you, do you know that the, the only thing that I have listed for scares and literally the only thing is that as I'm sitting there watching the film, my wife was asleep as I was watching it. And so like the volume is up at a certain level and every few minutes his yep. face would pop yep. up or his hand would pop up and the volume would crank up to more than three times the level. And it's just right. like, yeah. And I, know. I, I was, oh man. And I would have to rapidly reach for the remote and turn right. it down so that she wouldn't wake up. And then of course, when they talked it was back down to so now we're here <laughs> I know. and then all of a sudden the creature pops his head up it's like, I know. I like oh, my, oh my gosh it's like the music is the scariest thing about this thing that makes me uh. that makes me think of uh you know film crit hulk the 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 film mm, critic mm-hmm. online who's actually a really amazing writer and thinker but uh and film critic but uh, he will always kind of make critis- make criticism, not totally unrightly so, for Hans Zimmer's scores to Nolan's movies. It's what uh, Film Crit Hulk calls the womp womp. It's like the womp, <laughs> right. You know, it's like Inception does this. Some of the Batman do it. You know, right, Duncan right, right, right. Anyway, it makes me think of that. With it, but like this, this composer would only. It's like he was given notes. Okay, only when you see the hand fully in the shot. 
do any <laughs> do any sort of music cue, you know, and it is so. And it's like the musician wakes up every time. Oh, sorry, I gotta get back to. <laughs> so he hits the keys way too yes. hard. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. That's Burn. perfect. That's we just figured it out. I bet there's a video of that somewhere too. Um, last oh last God. notes on likes dislikes. One is, um, well, actually, I did already say about the music, but also the underwater fight. I thought was great. I was actually oh yeah yeah like, yeah really yeah that's probably my favorite that. moment of the movie. Um, yeah. yeah, they're kicking up the dust, the sea dust, the lagoon dust at the bottom of the lagoon. I was like, wow, this is that's pretty impressive. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, and that's actually that's one of my favorite. I should have mentioned that in likes dislikes, but that's one of my favorite moments in the movie. Not only because I think that, as you said, the the scene is very well executed, but um, it's one of the few like it's one of the few deaths. Obviously, multiple people die in this film, but it's characters that we like see for a second right before they're taken out. But that death, it, it really palmed. means something. Right. <laughs> right. Right. But that death really means something to the story. Sure. So so the stakes are higher. It's it, it, there's there's a lot. It's, it's near the end of the film. It's like the last like 10, 15 minutes of the film uh, when that when that scene takes place. So it's definitely. Uh, yeah, it's it's a really pivotal scene. And I really enjoy that a lot. Um. I feel like you tried to jump to scares a minute ago and I doubled back on you, but I did want to uh, address that too. Did you have any other scare stuff you wanted to? No, I mean, I only included it because you mentioned it, but literally my only scares was that I jumped every single time the music cue started because I was just not prepared for how much louder it was going to be. Um, I had two listed. One was honestly the first full shot of the creature reaching for the divers. Like, I mean, it was it was kind of a legitimate kind of little jump moment um, that was pretty effectively uh, implemented, but I don't know if you know this. So, like, if you were to ask me right now, I thought about this with our movie next week, too. But, like, what is the, what is a thing you fit? You know, people have, like, claustrophobia or fear of heights or, you know, falling or mine, dude, is, like, I'm straight up, is, like, open water. Like, I... Oh, yeah. Oh, I am yeah. not much of a swimmer confession time and like mm-hmm. i am the one this is not hyperbole for broadcast like i am the one who when we go to the beach inevitably gets stung by the jellyfish like it just mm. <laughs> it's just it's just gonna happen like they can smell the anxiety on me or something i i have a healthy respect for the ocean um yeah, right such that i'm not afraid to say to the ocean you stay there and, you know, I'll stay right here sitting on the sand reading my book. Um, and to the point that her, the sequence of her swimming was like unnerving to me because, yeah. oh, yeah. Well, one, because I look like that when I swim in the, and, you know, just, just, just very spelt. This is graceful you know? in your yes. one piece bathing suit. Yes. And- <laughs> yes. Yes. That is like totally me. But also because it affirms my fear. That when you're in a body of water that you can't see below the surface of, that there is always a thing yep. lurking yep. right next to you waiting to eat you. Um, yep. You know, and and yeah, that was like that scene really preyed on my actual real world, you know, anxieties and fears about open bodies of water. Well, you know what's funny about you saying that? And I didn't write this down in trivial bits, but I but I did stumble upon it in my research is that that was actually the one of the the biggest driving forces behind the director making the film was he he, he it was a, either he personally had that fear or 
found that fear interesting, but it was that exact thing of like something is lurking under the surface of the water. And he, he wanted to make a story that was that basically put those fears to light. So it's interesting that you say that. Well, um, and, I mean, honestly, I've since watching it, I've been thinking about that a lot and how, you know, you juxtapose something like that with something like Jaws. And I was trying to think through like Jaws. I mean, Jaws is a very effective movie. But oh, yeah. I almost think what's scary about Jaws, and remind me, it's been years since I've seen it. And maybe we'll do it for the show one day. But like, I think part of what's scary about Jaws is you don't see under the water. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, you, oh you, yeah. You're you are always kept from that view, um, mm-hmm. even though you know he's out there. But I think there's a couple. I, 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 again, it's been a while since yeah, I've seen and it. I, I could think be there's wrong. a couple it's, of it's, like. I think there's a couple of point of view shots, but they're, the, either way, your point is made because it's it's to great effect and it's very it's sparse right. when they when they include them. Well, and to to tie it into the real world even more, like a couple of weeks ago, my family had our annual week long beach trip in the summer, and there was a gentleman staying at the condo next to us or the house next to us who we would see on the beach, and he was a big fisherman, and he I'm not kidding you from the shore is catching these little two and three foot, uh, three foot might be strong, these little two foot sharks and just reeling them in. Oh my gosh. Yes, from the shore. No way. Yes. And to the point that the last day we're there, we're out at the beach and he catches something. He's got something on the line. He reels it in. Dude, he had a freaking um, uh, manta ray. No way. Yes. He caught it. Uh-uh. Like, Mm-mm. I mean, this is from the shore. This isn't like out, you know, at the sandbar. This isn't out where the boats are. This is like from the shore. And my wife knows, oh, no my wife way. knows my anxiety about water and oceans and creatures in the deep and all that sure. sort of stuff. And I, I kind of look at her like, yeah, we're, uh, yeah, that's it. We're not, we're not, I'm not getting in the water. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so He's that like, was. Well, he ruined it for me. Exactly. Exactly. Um, or he just saved me, you know, by revealing <laughs> exactly. this. Exactly. Um, so yeah, yeah that, that would kind of be my, uh, my, my list of scares there. Sure. Well, it, it makes perfect sense. And to this day, I, it doesn't sound like it's to the degree that yours is, which I'm not saying to belittle you. I, I just, no, I, belittle, belittle I, away, I also, old friend. <laughs> no, I have sincerely, uh, I echo your fear of, of the unknown and the, the untapped research, uh, like the depths of the ocean and what might be hiding or, or lurking there. Um, so, I mean, in, in terms of, in terms of themes, what was interesting is, so one of the things that I was, that I was thinking about when I watched this film is, obviously we made light of it earlier. We joked about how, you know, they're, they're, they're driven like, oh, we got to find these fossils. Well, maybe there'll be some over there. So they just continue to, to, you know, pursue finding these fossils or finding some evidence of this new species or whatever it is, but they're driven to discovery. And one of the things that I noted, I looked at, uh, I looked back on some of the quotes from the film and, one of the things that I thought about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a little exchange here, and then this will bleed into the theme that I had in mind for this. Uh, D- Dr. Williams, the one who unfortunately loses his life in that uh, uh, scuffle with the, the creature from the Black Lagoon, and Dr. Reed. Yes, that's right. I'm in this movie. You just show um, up everywhere. I just show up everywhere. Um, but uh, so Dr. Williams and Dr. Reed are discussing, conversing while they're out on that that small uh, canoe kayak. I don't know what you call that, but they're out there. And, uh, and he says, they won't, uh, Dr. Williams says they won't believe it back home. None of them. I wouldn't have believed it myself sitting out here waiting for some monster to appear. That's why we've got to take him. 
And then Dr. Reed says, well, why won't they believe you, Mark? And Mark Williams said, because we deal with known quantities with knowledge we've accumulated up to now. And then Dr. Reed says this. He says, we've just begun to learn about the water and its secrets, just as we've only touched on outer space. We don't entirely rule out the possibility that there might be some form of life on another planet. And why not some entirely different form of life in a world we already know is inhabited by millions of living creatures? And one of the things that I just found fascinating about this is basically it struck a chord in me about just how little we really know. And we're having this conversation about science, having this conversation about, uh, you know, how cavalier they are with it. And obviously we're dealing with a fantastical story because it's a, I mean, there's a, there's a gill man. There's a, you know, there's a creature from. To our um, knowledge we are, but. Well, there you go. There you go. But, um, you know, it's fascinating. They're still discovering new species of plants, new species of creatures, uh, both in the water and in uh, more tropical terrains. So they're constantly discovering new species of things every day. And it's just interesting to me with all of the things that we do know, I feel like there can be this capacity where we begin to think that we have got everything discovered, like that we have all accumulated knowledge that we that we kind of understand everything that we um, basically have it packed away figured out subject closed as it were and then there'll be something just on the horizon often fearful sometimes wondrous but something just on the horizon that wasn't even on our radar that wasn't even something that we thought possible and sometimes now obviously creature from the black lagoon does not do this, but sometimes that one discovery can cause us to think about literally everything in a in a different way, or see the entire picture in a different way. Um, what it what it reminded me of, even though I was not around for this or old enough for this discovery, but what it reminded me of is what it must have been like when scientists finally uncovered DNA, like the truth of DNA. Uh, the truth of genetics or the truth of the fact that that there are some things about you and about who you are that are literally in the fabric of what makes you up of the of the 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 cellular structure that makes up your body of the blood that pumps through your veins that there's something about what makes you you that is completely you know now we use dna in uh crime investigations and dna can can be used to paternity uh, tests i don't know anything about that (laughs) confirm or deny uh you know lineage and heritage and 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 all of that kind of stuff but i don't know if i'm articulating this very well but there was a time at which there was no name let alone structure and substance to that quality of humanity, that quality of life. There was no real definitive name. We we had a vague sense at one point. I, I know we've always had a vague sense. Like I'm thinking of the, the passage of scripture that says the blood is life, you know, that that uh, there is there has always been this intrinsic awareness that, you know, you are who you are. But there's also been this, you know, the tradition of uh, things get passed down from generation to generation. But we didn't understand how it worked. We didn't know what it was. And so what Creature from the Black Lagoon, of all things, made me think of is it made me think of just how little, even sitting here right now, how little 
as people, we know about the world around us and about ourselves. And what I'm specifically tying this back into, because we're an exploration of the horror genre and the Christian faith, is I think it can be really easy for us, even as believers, to feel like we have got every element of our faith mapped out, charted, systematized, locked down, and that is the be-all, end-all. That there's, that there's not any room to learn anything more, that there's not any room to discover anything more, uh, that there is no, I'll put it this way, we can come to believe that there is no further capacity for God to surprise us sure. anymore. Yeah. And it was interesting to me, like I, I thought about another line that they say, and obviously this could lead into the frightening, but I just love this line when Dr. Reed says as they're, you know, going to press forward and try to capture the creature, he says, we didn't come here to fight monsters. We're not equipped for it. And I, something about that line just really stands out to me uh, about coming into contact with our own incapability, coming into contact with the fact that there is, there is something here that is beyond us and that we did not realize or prepare for and that we do not yet understand. And it's uh, the, what you're, uh, I'm sorry to cut you off there. It's almost, no, you're um, fine. it feels almost kind of Jobin, if you will. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, kind of the Leviathan, you know, just the, the, the mysteries of the natural world. Um, yeah. And, and our in apprehension of it, you know, or in a, un, unappreciation of it. You said something a minute ago that really resonated with me and some and just, you know, stirrings and thoughts I've had of late of, of a faith variety and that that notion of and man, you you see it, you see it, you see it. All you got to do is scroll your Facebook. You're going to see it. All you got to do is turn on any news outlet. You'll see it that as as people of faith that the book is closed. Mm-hmm. And that it's that really there's this there's this methodology, there's this ideology. It is insidious and satanic, if I can use that strong of language, that's basically saying turn off the lights mm-hmm. and that that we've kind of discovered all we, there is to discover. Um, you're either this or you're that and you've made your choice. And now it's time to usher in Armageddon. I mean, really, mm-hmm. like I know that right, sounds right. bold and strong. But it feels that way sometimes if you just observe a bit. And I think so much of what God would call us to as people of faith seeking to be open to his spirit is is to understand that the book is not closed, that that there there is always there's always more to discover. There's always more to understand. There's always more to there's always more capacity for people to know his love and, and that we are always meant to be carriers of that. I totally cut you off yeah. and, and then rabbit trail. No, so I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's it's fine because that's. I mean, honestly, I don't. As as silly as this may sound, I don't have much more to say about it uh, beyond that. And I couldn't agree more that I think there is always always the opportunity for us to learn and grow and discover more. But even more so than that, I'm going to make a statement that's probably a little bold, and our Calvinist listeners are going to you know, send me angry letters, but I think there's always a capacity for the Lord to reveal something new of his intention for something new of his, uh, just of the vast riches of the world around us of, of creation. Um, I, and I'll, I'll harken back to it. I just love, I adore the fact that the film opens with both 
creationism sure. and evolutionary language. I'm like, and and I don't I don't know. I don't even have the the. It's it's sixty years ago. I don't even have the capacity to understand what drove them to include both of those languages. But well, and I, it's, I, I it's just interesting. Love it. For some reason, you made me think of this a minute ago. Like. I want to caveat, and maybe you'll push back on this repackage of your statement. You said the Lord, you're revealing something new. I, I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but what it made me think and what I wonder if you're saying, if not, I'm saying it for me and, and you can feel free to push back as, as desired. But like, I think the means of revelation may be new, but I almost feel like what is revealed is, is ancient and strong. You know what I mean? Like, like, oh, yeah, the, the, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, to, to borrow your, your phrasing of reveal and revelation, like the means of, of God revealing himself to us, um, you know, it might be, okay, well, now you've discovered X, Y, or Z form of, you know, maybe, maybe suddenly you are just someone who's really into nature and this is a means now of grace, a means of, you viewing the Lord revealing himself to you through nature that maybe you weren't accessing before that you weren't aware of before you weren't paying attention to. Right. So in other words, for you, the revelation, the means of revelation is new, but what it is echoing and what it is stating about itself is an old and ancient thing. And that's, I think that's a really lovely sort of idea. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And, and, and I love it so much. I'm going to harken back to, to what we said about DNA there was never a time in which DNA wasn't a reality. Sure. But sure. there were centuries and centuries and even millennia when people did not know that it was a reality. Right. So so it's one of those things where, yeah, I, I agree that like it's one of those things where the, the discoveries that we make or the discoveries, the things that come to light that weren't there before. I mean, it's like the, you know, this is not my scripture that i'm bringing in but it's like when when the writer of ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun like that's that that's pretty true right I right mean, I, I say you know pretty true that i mean that's true right it's it's just that methodology changes sometimes means changes and well, our, ca- the, our capacity yeah and our capacity yeah, to yeah. apprehend it changes Absolutely. Uh, I will real quickly, uh, and then, you know, we can either unpack this a little further or or find a way to wind down. I will real quickly bring in the scripture that I thought for this. Um, There is a story about when Jacob was, uh, after he was forced to leave his home, this is in the book of Genesis, and this specifically is in Genesis chapter 28, when Jacob was forced to leave his home, um, and uh, that's a whole big story that I don't have time to go into. Just basically, he was running away, and he laid down and took a nap, and that evening, he had the famous Jacob's Ladder dream, where he uh, dreamed of angels climbing up and down this ladder into heaven. But when he woke up, he said something, and this is my uh, verse of scripture, that this <laughs> that creature from the Black Lagoon uh, woke up in me. In Genesis chapter 28 and verse 16, it says this, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Just that simple that simple statement, that simple thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it, struck me so hard about exactly what we're talking about in the sense that there is always a capacity for the Lord to surprise us. There's always the capacity through some new vehicle, through some new understanding, through some new discovery for the Lord to surprise us. And I agree with you that the things that we discover have probably been there 
forever. Sure. They've probably always been there. We're just discovering them and they add some new element. It's like, and man, this might take us under a rabbit trail. I don't intend to, but it's like when, when Jesus said to his, to his disciples, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophet. I came to fulfill it. Right. In other words, I came to complete it. I came to give you the peace you've been missing. You right, thought it this right. way. You thought it that way. I came to give you the element of it that was missing. And sometimes we've even, we've even had conversations stemming out of some earlier episodes of ours about how, you know, Christ takes the, uh, the standards that are laid out in like Genesis or Leviticus and stuff like that and takes them a step further, you know, that his, he says, uh, you know, uh, that I say, uh, love your enemies and I say uh, you know go this extra mile for for the person who asks if you somebody asks you to go one mile with them go with them two etc cetera, etc cetera, that he takes this extension it's so interesting to me to think about the fact that it, with each new era that goes by with each new generation that goes by I feel like the Lord is constantly wanting his people to push forward to learn more to continue growing and it's so fascinating to me that the sort of the paradox of kingdom living is like just exactly as you put it, that we are pushing forward into something that is actually very, very ancient. Sure. That we're sure. pushing forward closer to the new Jerusalem. Right. Which is right. which is is very much uh, always been there and very much like it's just it's just not accessible to us. We're pushing into what would what we would consider maybe a new Eden, as it were. Right. So pushing ever forward into something new. G.K. Chesterton had uh, a quote, and I, I don't have it in front of me. I'm going to try to recall it as best I can. Please, listeners, be gracious to me. But he said, there are two ways to return home. One is never to leave. The second is to go all the way around the world until you come back to it again. Huh. And that quote has always struck me as very poetic and kind of witty, but I was always like, well, no, you can just turn around and go back and blah, blah, blah. But I see what he's saying now, where he's like, sometimes you actually have to keep pressing forward until you come back around to where and, right, and right. you gain things along the way. You learn things, you expand your capacity, et cetera, et cetera. But you continue to press forward until you co- until things come full circle. And uh, I don't know, there's something in this conversation about black lagoons and creatures in it that's, <laughs> that... I actually, as odd as it may sound, find very lovely and very hopeful and optimistic about pressing in and making new discoveries. Uh, the 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 frightening, the wondrous, the unexpected. Uh, I don't know. There's something that this film, in its simplicity, sort of awakened in me about pressing forward into and, and expanding our knowledge base, as it were, and to always be open. And as we've said before on the show, to always be curious about those kind of things. So that's what it made me think. No. That's what it made me reflect on. I dig it. I dig it. I mean, you know, it, it sort of uh, doesn't quite take into account the the capacity for what you discover devouring you or face pal- or face <laughs> or palming face you, palming you. <laughs> <laughs> or saying screw this guy, you know, <laughs> screw this that's lamp, so screw this oh, discovery. That's so true. <laughs> oh. But you know, I, but I do like I. I Maybe just this conversation, maybe this is just where my headspace is at because I spent time at the Star Trek convention. (laughs) (laughs) Boldly go, man. Boldly go. But yeah, there's something about that, again, that scripture verse that just 
waking up from a dream the next morning and saying to yourself with a deep, you know, I imagine with a deep sigh, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't aware of it. Um, man, there's something so refreshing and so delightful in in the climate in which we're living, Nathan, in the times in which we're living, in the utterly divided, utterly uh, volatile and combative climate that we're living in to be able to take a step back and wake up and say, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Yes. I, I just, uh. I just, I just think that's, I just, I, I, I find tremendous hope in right. that, that scripture in that idea. Um, and yeah. Well, and there's we, this, there's also yeah. this, I mean, let that be a caution to, to us as well that, you know, there's a way in which I feel like that story, the Jacob story and or how you're trying to apply it is a sense of awe and wonder that you suddenly come to about an environment or a scenario or a situation in your life. But there's also a way in which there's a that you could say, holy cow, we we've totally thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And maybe oh, right, and maybe right, the, and right. maybe the Lord was actually here and present and with us. And right, we just weren't exactly. paying attention. You know, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a both and I think. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, I think that's why, as we've said many other times on the show that I think that's why you have to stay curious. I think that's why you have to, you have to keep your eyes open and be ready and willing to listen and ready and willing to learn and go, sw- um, and, 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 and go swimming. You know, and go swimming and you know, go swimming just, because some, yeah, because sometimes deep cries out to deep with big, wow. loud organ tones that, wow. uh, that scare you and make you jump out of your bed. Cause like for me to, to reappropriate and possibly, uh, you know, hereticize that verse. It's like when I'm in the ocean and I'm like, surely there was a monster around my feet and I was unaware, you know, <laughs> it's like, exactly. it's here. It's oh, here. I know exactly. it. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think that's, uh, I think that's probably a good place to go ahead and, and uh, move into our, our favorite little monster, Mr. David S. Pumpkins. Uh, unless you had anything else burning to add or to say, then, then I think we'll go ahead and uh, rate this film. Are you ready? I'm good, man. I'm good. So as um, listeners may or may not know, if this is your first episode of the fear of God one, welcome we will pass. We will. We will pass the plate at the end of the episode, and feel free to toss in your two cents. Um, <clears throat> we surely do. Um, but at the end of every episode, we rate the films we talk about on a fun little metric of numbers of David S. Pumpkins. That being the fun Halloween character that uh, Tom Hanks originated on Saturday Night Live last year, and will hopefully do so again this year, and was nominated for an Emmy, and on and on and on. So. We rank them zero to five um, under three categories, style, scares, and substance. So, Reed, Creature from the Black Lagoon, yes, zero, zero to five, David S. Pumpkins. How do you rate its style? I'm going to give it a three and a half. I really enjoyed it. It's very straightforward. It's not mind-blowing. It doesn't break the mold, but it's just very competent and good. I like it. Three and a half. I, I, can, I can deal with that. I'm going to go with a solid three. I feel like that's... That's that's a, a capable number uh, by our standard, and you know, absolutely, yeah. So um, three and a half and a three. All right. What about scares? For me, I'll start that one. So um, I mean, it's more about what it conjures in me. Like you know, I, I'm gonna go with three. Like 
what it, right. what what the underwater stuff does in 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 my inmost places is it does a does a number so that number is three <laughs> <laughs> well uh as as evidenced by the fact that the only thing i could think of as scares was the music i'm actually gonna go a one for scares yeah. well i don't, I don't blame you i don't blame you i i, I uh, if not for my water aversion, I'd be right there with you. Um, yeah, lastly, Reed, why don't you lead the way on your substance rating? So substance, I'm going to give it a three. I, again, think there's there's not a ton to it. And I think even what I brought from it, I brought to it. Um, so, you know, it, again, like this is one area. Well, go ahead. What would you give it for substance? Um, substance, honestly, I'd probably go like a two. Yeah. Okay. So here's one thing where I feel like David S. Pumpkins isn't necessarily a, a proper representation. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. Because we here at The Fear of God are giving it actually our lowest rating yet. It is a five out of ten, <laughs> David S. Pumpkins. And here's where I'll even be the first to admit that like this is an area where like our particular way of rating and ranking these films um, kind of fails us a little bit. Because somebody would be like five out of ten and think like, oh, well, then it's bad. No, it's quite good. It's very right, enjoyable. Right. It's fun. It's it. Yeah, it's just simple, innocuous, uh, just just monster film. You know, right, like right. Ingmar, Ingmar Bergman, one of the most respected directors of all time, uh, loved this film and watched it every year for his birthday. So, I mean, it's enjoyable. Um, it's so it's a rewarding. Clearly, we need to thing. go back and change our rating. Is what you're saying? <laughs> no, I think I think five out of ten sounds about right based on what we rate it for. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, it is a good film and uh, and is is a lot of fun. Um, so, well, but uh, don't you think? Don't you think? As a random last little interjection here. Don't would you say that part of our distance chronologically from it kind of affects our level of engagement? You know what I mean? Like, oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So I think that you know, I think that uh, you know the passage of time can be a double edged sword. That that it can reveal true classics, and I think it can also dampen or hinder. Uh, the appreciation of what a film really did at the time or what it can do. Um, so, yeah. Well, I, and I, 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 you know, I think what you're saying is this one's a fun swim in the old lagoon, you know, just <laughs> absolutely. Just put, absolutely. Out, just, put on that, just put on that one piece, put out your cigarette butt and jump in. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, All right. And if you want to, if you want to dive into the Black Lagoon with us, you can do so in a variety of ways. You because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. Uh, you can reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, that's probably the easiest and fastest and best way. Nathan, what is our Twitter handle? Our Twitter handle read is at the fear of God. And you can also like us on Facebook and you can follow us that way. You can leave a comment on one of the posts there or comment or post there yourself. Um, you can uh, link that through Twitter and you can also follow me on Twitter at Reed Lackey and Nathan, where can they find you on Twitter besides the fear of God? They can find me on Twitter at the Nathan Rouse. Uh, you can also go to more than one lesson.com, leave a comment on this post or any of our other uh, formal episodes. Uh, you can also email us fear of God podcast at gmail.com. If you don't have a Facebook or Twitter account to take the hashtag I love the 90s quiz, then please email us there and I will send you the quiz that way. Um, so uh, I think, uh, oh yeah, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would love a review. We it haven't would. had one in a while and that would be great. Yeah, so we would love that. Um, so, but either way, in whatever capacity you reach out to us, we love 
to hear from you. We'd love to know your thoughts on this subject, on these films. Um, we are not quite done with the Universal Monsters because we have a companion film. Uh, it is very different, uh, but I think similarly linked, it's definitely not going to inspire a lot of wonder or hope or optimism <laughs> because we're companioning uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon next week with... 2005's Neil Marshall Thrill Fest, The Descent. So, um, yes. So, um, so watch that film. Join us next week. Nathan, as always, thank you so much for having this conversation with me and for spending this time. I appreciate it. You're so welcome, my friend. We'll see you next week, guys. Bye.